Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Come Over for Dinner. I'm so excited you're joining me today. Today, I am joined by a very special guest all the way across the ocean from Wales. Her name is Anna Ailing, and she has four children, and she homeschools all of them. She loves showing hospitality, and she is going to tell us all about a special recipe organization tip she has. We've talked about this some before, and but this is a unique perspective. So I'm excited to talk to her about this, as well as all of the hospitality things. So welcome, Anna. Hey, Bess. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit more about yourself and your life in Wales. Okay, so I am from Wales, and I live in Wales at the moment. I'm married to Nathaniel. And we have four kids, like you said. So we have Ethan, Micaiah, Boaz, and Afia. So three boys and then a girl. We've been married for about 16 years, and we've lived in Japan for about eight of those years. So we were missionaries in Japan for a good chunk of time. And then now we're back in Wales. So tell me about your time in Japan, where all of your children were born at that time, or were they? Well, no, we kind of, we ping-ponged back and forth. So we had... So we had we had Ethan here, and then we went to Japan. We had Makaya in Japan. Then we came back for a year in between, in the middle of the, it was like four years there, a year back in Wales, had Boaz, and then four years back in Japan and had Afia there. So we kind of did, yeah, we did back and forth, back and forth. Kind of wow. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a whole new perspective on raising children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. It was interesting. Did you but work yeah, with so a we, specific organization or were you sponsored by your church or how did you jump into that situation? So we went with OMF. So OMF International. It used to be CIM. So Hudson Taylor set it up way back when. And um, my husband is actually born in Japan. So she, he was born to missionary parents there. So he, when we went on our first date, he was like, okay, so there's the whole Japan thing. And I was like, yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of part of the deal from the beginning. But it's kind of fun because so when I, well, when I was younger, I was brought up in a Christian family and my dad was a pastor. And I always kind of, I always believed the gospel and always wanted to be a Christian, but I always had this kind of niggling thing about, I knew about missionaries. <laughs> I basically was like, I don't want to be a missionary. <laughs> like, that would be so bad. <laughs> and so I felt like from a really young age, like God put his finger on that as an issue for me. And I knew that if I was a Christian, I had to be submissive to God. I had to call Jesus Lord in every area. And so... It was an issue that I'd had from when I was really little. And it took me a long time to kind of figure that one out and kind of deal with that. So as a teenager, I can remember being kind of like, okay, fine, like whatever. If I have to be a missionary, fine. <laughs> I have to, I have to do this. So it was this thing that had come up for years. And even, you know, when I was kind of like, okay, yeah, fine, if that's what and I didn't feel like I definitely will be a missionary, but it was just like an issue that I had to deal with with the Lord that I was like, I have to be able to submit to Jesus in all these areas and not have little barriers and boundaries that I set up myself. So it was funny how the Lord really prepared me for that. But then also my husband, he had a similar thing where he wanted to be a missionary and he just assumed he would be a missionary in Japan because of his background. But then the Lord started putting his finger on India my husband was like, Nathaniel, he was like, no, 
oh, I don't want to go to India. And then he had basically the same kind of issue. It was really funny. And so, yeah, so he kind of had to work through that one. I was like, okay, fine, India. So when I first met him, he was all, all about India. He was thinking he was going to India, but we knew each other for three years before we started dating. So in that time, he came back around. That's a long story, but he came back around to Japan. So that was kind of always on the cards from when we got together. And then we got, so we got married. And then a few years later, we had Ethan and went to Japan. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yes. It's definitely the story of we plan our steps, but God directs them. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And it it is funny how, and yeah, it did end up sort of with the whole missionary thing happening. So, yeah. Well, and interesting that you were wrestling with this and thinking about mission work and thinking about whether or not you wanted to be a missionary. And then along comes a guy who's a missionary. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I mean, you know, like having a nice, godly, handsome guy in the mix helped. (laughs) So kind of like, well, if that's part of the deal, it's not so bad. (laughs) um, Did you meet in England or in Wales? No, in England. We did meet in England. England. We both worked in a church in London. So yeah, that's where we met. And then, yeah, so then we ended up in Japan. So we did four years in Japan, and then we came back for a home assignment year, and then we went back for another four years. But yeah. What does OMF stand for? You mentioned that Hudson Taylor started the organization. But so it was, what, what are it, those letters? It was Overseas Missionary Fellowship. That's what it used to stand for. But now it's kind of just OMF International. Okay. They've just, dropped, they've just made it a... A word. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Nobody talks about what that it is stands what it for. Was. Yeah, okay. that is what it was back okay. in the day. Yeah. And now you're back in Wales. Tell me yeah. a little bit about the hospitality that you do. Are you an active part of your church? Does your husband pastor? Does he do mission work in Wales? What are you currently doing? So he works for OMF still. So he he's the, I, I do know, I always forget what it's called. I think regional director or area rep I can't ever remember which one it is but basically the area that we're in he's the sort of OMF representative there and then he is an elder in our church so our church is quite small I think it's like 27 members it's quite small and there's three elders and we have a new pastor starting next week so that's exciting that is exciting Um, yeah really exciting and then my mom and I do and my dad actually my dad's a really good cook we do the foods, any kind of food event at church, we do the food stuff for that. So it's not like big big events, but um, yeah, we do that. And then we try to have people in our home as well and just normal kind of hospitality week in, week out. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, cooking for 27 people regularly or, you know, on a a a regular basis at church is nothing to sneeze at. (laughs) No, no, it's not. That's still quite a few, plus your children and your family. Yeah. And we have in yeah, we have lots of guests that come as well, which is really lovely. So we try to do regular meals so that we can invite friends to church and then to a meal afterwards and things like that. And sometimes there are special events that we do or whatever. So we usually we have there's a whole team of people who are so helpful with loads of stuff. But it's usually me and my mom who sort out the food side of things, like what we're actually gonna cook and sorting that out. Yeah. From living in Japan, do you have lots of those kind of recipes or do you cook very, I guess it's not English, it's, what do you say, uh, well, Welsh, it is, yeah, Welsh I recipes? I don't know, I don't know what it is. 
<laughs> we, yeah, what's really sad is that most of the recipes I learned in Japan, I just can't get the ingredients here. So oh, that's it's, true. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. But there are a few. So our kids love, love Japanese food. So anytime I cook anything Japanese, they're really excited. So we did, we did actually have Japanese food tonight and they all went wild for it. So that's fun. But I just do a real mishmash of things. I do lots of different, different kinds of things and just how the, depending on how the mood takes me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like variety. Well, what is a favorite menu you might serve when you have people over or something you might prepare for church with your mom for a group of 27 people? <laughs> yeah. Well, we, uh, I asked my, I asked the family, I asked the kids, I asked my husband, what, what is it that I cook that is very like us and that I would cook for other people coming over? Everyone said curry. They're like, curry, you do curry. I was like, oh yeah, I do. I do do curry. So I think, yeah, curry is like, we like curry in our house, but not spicy. I can't stand, I just, I can't handle real heat mm-hmm. in a curry, but had a real like penny drop moment when Becca Merkel was on your podcast and uh-huh. she was talking about Indonesian food in Holland and how it was similar to Mexican food in the US or Indian food in the UK. And I was like, oh, yes. Like, I think I just heard, I listened to a few American podcasts and I hear people talking about Mexican food. And I was always like, I just don't know Mexican food at all. Felt like I'm missing out on something. Like everyone's <laughs> talking about Mexican food. Like, what is the deal with this? It is delicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'd love to learn about Mexican food, but that's not so much of a thing in the UK. And then it was just this light bulb moment when Becca said that. I was like, oh, that's like Indian food is like our equivalent. Mm-hmm. So I can just lean in that and just don't worry so much about the Mexican food exactly yeah it's like go with that you know we've got a history with Indian food in our in our culture in the UK and the ingredients are likely common to find you're not having to import them or go to a specialty store that's kind of like I mean when I was down in the south you could go into a grocery store there was an entire Mexican section you know there was usually a section that would lend itself to that kind of cooking all the different peppers and depending on the store you went into I mean there would be whole aisles of stuff that you could choose from that would if you knew how knew what you were doing then you could really create a whole whole menu up here I don't it's not as prevalent you know in the northern yeah, yeah. US, but you know, you can still find things, but it's not the further south you go, the more of that influence yeah, yeah. is there. Sure. So I'm sure where you are, it's similar with Indian type foods. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And then I remembered actually when the kids said curry, they, I thought actually when we were married, when we first got married on our gift list, we had an Amazon gift list. <laughs> and I had a recipe book on there that was Mata Jeffrey's Curry Bible. And I just used it so much that anytime anyone came over, almost definitely they were getting the curry. And my husband still jokes about it because he was like, those things took you like three hours every time you made a curry. So I did I did do a lot of that early on. And then but throughout the years, I've always made curries. Not all the time. I couldn't eat it all the time, but just sort of I keep coming back to curries. And even, I mean, in the UK, because it is so normal to have a curry, even people who are not that adventurous with their food will be okay with a curry 
mm-hmm. it's it's quite normal British food now. So that's that's kind of fun and nice that it'll kind of keep everyone happy. So See, when I think of British food, I do not think of curry ever. I did not yeah. know that. That is so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think of pub food or fish and chips or yeah. the tea, you know, the tea with the scones and all the different yeah, yeah, yeah. clotted cream. And but I have never pictured going to England or Wales and yeah. ordering curry. Yeah. Well, but it does make say, sense because you do have a history with India. And I think people say, like, I don't I think it's a kind of half joke, but half serious that tikka masala is like a British national dish. Like that it's because there's lo- what's really interesting to me, I think, especially with the whole Japan background and the whole, you know, cross-cultural sort of ministry and everything, is the thought that, that loads of immigrants came over with well, Indian food, I mean, other immigrants as well, but, you know, for now, just India, thinking about India, they came with this really rich food culture mm-hmm. and then they adapted it. And I just think that's so clever that they adapted it to British palates so mm-hmm. that so that they would like it. Yes. And I, just, I think I just, I wouldn't know how to do that. That's kind well, of... Well, it sounds funny. like from you making it so many times, you do have it flavorful but not hot you've adapted it to fit your taste and your family whereas in india maybe they have really spicy ones or you know i'm sure they have a whole variety but yours sounds really interesting so i can't wait to read the recipe and see what yours looks like well the thing is that in i think in british culture there's there are curries that are kind of like normal we think of them as normal but they're not necessarily very authentic indian food I mean, you probably have similar things with Mexican food. I Same, imagine. yes, because down in the South, we call it Tex-Mex, actually. Yeah. I mean, you can find authentic Mexican restaurants where somebody's cooking from Mexico. They are doing something more authentic. But a lot of what you find is what we call Tex-Mex. And it's yeah. what, what you're saying. You're kind of a, an Americanized version of Mexican. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, so there's loads of, there's like, Indian takeaways everywhere in the UK, but mo- I think a lot of what they sell is not that authentic. It's the sort of adapted version. And I think that's really clever that it's been adapted. But now, but then recently I found this recipe book. It's called Mowgli Street Food. And this lady, Nisha Katona, she's an Indian lady who's grown up in the UK. And she was a lawyer for 20 years. And then she set up Mowgli as a restaurant. And her whole philosophy is now let me give you what Indian people really eat. So it's kind of Indian food that Indian families eat at home. And the the restaurants have been wildly successful, really amazing. She now has three recipe books out. And the recipe books are so fun, really tasty food, really interesting recipes and not difficult. So they're really fun. And so sometimes I'll do... A sort of Indian thing where there's lots of different dishes. But the one I was gonna share with you today was just it's it's more just sort of bog standard Indian Indian inspired curry. But it's Mary Berry made it. So it's not it's not authentic, I don't think. But it's just a crowd pleaser. Everybody likes it. It's not spicy hot, you know, it's not got the heat. It's kind of creamy. It's got mango chutney in it. So it's got that sweetness as well. Kids love it. Easy to prepare. Just very simple. So yeah, it's just a chicken curry. It's so simple and boring on one level, 
but everybody likes it and it's kind of safe. Yes, it sounds like a comfort food. It sounds delicious. Do you serve it over rice or do you, how do you serve it? And is it a one dish meal or do you serve side dishes with it? Or is that your complete menu is a curry over rice? Well, yeah, so I do curry with rice and then often I do poppadoms with it. I don't know if you can buy poppadoms. I mean, I don't know what's available in the US, but I can buy poppadoms before they've been cooked. So they're just flat. And then you deep fry them. What so, are pop- poppadoms? Okay, so they're, oh, I don't even know what are poppadoms. <laughs> they're, like they're like, I was going to say crisps, but that's, so like, you know, like potato chips. That's like okay. an Americanism. I don't normally say potato chips. So potato chips. Okay, I'm looking it up. Know. It says they're a spicy thin wafer typically served as a side dish or snack in traditional Indian fare. I wonder if we could find them at an ethnic shop here, Maybe. like an ethnic grocery store. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, when I'm looking at a picture, it, it may be like non bread, but are yours crisp? Yeah, they're not like non bread. So not, they're like, not non. So they, yeah, they're crisp. So you deep fry them and they kind of puff up. They don't puff up in thickness, but they kind of go bigger like whips wise and they they're like they're crunchy i don't know what they're made out of actually but they're crunchy they're deep fried i love deep fried food they're deep fried they're really tasty okay i'm finding some a recipe online where you can make it so we could make our own if we can't find it in a store and the main ingredient on this recipe is garbanzo beans or urad flour u-r-a-d i've never heard of that Oh, it says chickpea, garbanzo bean, or your ad flour. So I guess you have to have those flowers. Yeah, because there is a kind of flour. Chickpea flour, I know that they use in Indian cooking that it is. So it's gluten free and it's all, you know, it's great for like dietary restrictions and stuff. That so is it may well be. But it's not um, so much fun for your listeners if you can't get hold of it. Well, but but that's okay. I wonder, I mean, because you can go to a lot of, most towns have some sort of shop that you can go into and find recipes for international cooking or not recipes, sorry, ingredients for international cooking. So I bet we could find this or we could find the flour to make it. I mean, it doesn't look like it's super difficult to make. It almost looks like a tortilla, like a homemade tortilla when it's pressed out. Speaking of Mexican cooking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is the same thing as a tortilla for sure. I'm seeing a second recipe that again calls for this specialty flour. So that, you know, with some research, I bet we could figure it out. We can we can do this. Or or find a substitute. Yeah. But if you can't find it, there are loads of other things that you can do. So I think what's nice about the whole curry thing is that you can dress it up or you can just have it as is if you want. You know, like it is a complete meal. I would just, so the recipe is just, it's chicken breast and onion and ginger, garlic, chili, which I just don't even put in because I don't want it spicy. And then just some spices, chicken stock, mango chutney, and then you can put yogurt or double cream in at the end. So I put cream in. But I also just throw in a load of frozen peas or something just as like some extra veg. But you can go to town. You can do a load of side dishes if you want to. Or 
I, I mean, it's nice to, I think side dishes really elevate a meal and just make it more fun. So, or like some kind of bread or carbs, like the poppadoms or something. So for me, in my context, poppadoms are so easy because I can buy them pre-cooked. I just, people, you can cook them and they're big and round and flat at the end, but they're quite, they are quite big to fit in a pan. So I just cut them up into quarters and just deep fry them and have them like that but there are loads of other things that are like that are well maybe easier to get hold of so i make these flatbreads they're called puris which you can look up i'm sure i can find a recipe and it's just plain flour it's i can't even remember now but it's just it's it, it'll be easy to make and you can just roll them out they're really thin these just little kind of dough balls that you roll out really flat and then you deep fry them and they puff up. They're like puffer fish. They just go all puffy and they're really tasty. But then there's naan breads as well or chapatis or there are like various kind of bready things that you could do with it. But what was interesting for me in the Mowgli cookbook, she says somewhere she has a tomato salad recipe and she said that she would always have a tomato salad with, with a curry which I'd never heard of before, but now I do that a lot because it just tastes so good. And, you know, I heard you say about reading Salt, Fat, Acid and Heat, you know, the yes. book. So it kind of it made sense of me just thinking, oh, it's acid as well. You know, the tomatoes with the curry it goes really well. It's really nice. But she has a load of different side dishes in the Mowgli cookbook, which so you can just make up your own kind of menu to go with it. But the curry will be fine just on its own with rice. Right. So you can do it as elaborate as you like. Yes. You mentioned three different Mowgli cookbooks. Which one do you prefer the most? The first one she wrote or do you have all three? Uh, I do have all three. Um, but I like the Mowgli street food is the kind of main one. Then she has a meat-free Mowgli and she has 30-minute Mowgli. So that's really handy. 30-minute Mowgli. We like that one as well. But yeah, I think the street food one is my favorite. And I've actually been to one of the restaurants as well. So that was fun. My husband took me. It's about an hour from us, but he knew I wanted to go. So yeah, so we went. So and the food is great. It's really, it's really great. And it's fresh and interesting and spicy, but not too hot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's really and inspiring. Sounds like <laughs> you can create yeah, your own yeah, menus but, once you're back home. Yeah. Yeah, that I totally tried things really and fun. I was like, wait, I've got to find that recipe. Have I got that recipe? But I do. I do have all the recipes. Oh, I'm going to have to look up that cookbook and I'll definitely post it on my shop page at comeoverfordinner.com so that everybody can see what we're talking about and can go look at the link and see if it's something you want to add to your cookbook collection. It definitely sounds like something I need to add to my collection. I do not have an Indian cookbook. I have lots of Southern cookbooks and I have plenty of cookbooks that have Mexican in there, but no Indian. I do have some Indian recipes from another lady on the website and I have tasted Indian before, but I need to delve a little bit deeper into making my own curries. This sounds delicious. What is a shortcut or time saver you use when you're making this menu? Do you create it the day of? Is it pretty simple? You, I, you mentioned your husband saying it takes three hours every time you make a curry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't have three hours, do you prep some of the ingredients ahead of time? Or tell me how you can make this recipe or this menu a little bit easier. Well, this one is 
she actually has named it quick chicken curry and it really is quick so this is a really this is an easy one so the recipe book that i had when we were first married that was a more time consuming recipe book just all the recipes seemed to take ages and it was fun you know and i had the time and it was fine but now i don't really have the time and so it's it's handy that this one is a quick one but there are a few things so i always use a rice cooker i just i'm like why why would someone not have a rice cooker I, like in japan you just everybody has a rice cooker so there that's a must and then you can do all sorts of things that you know people use diced onions or frozen garlic and frozen red chilies and i actually do for ginger i always find it it's so handy if you just free i don't know if you freeze your ginger but i what i do is i just buy ginger i don't even peel it and i just put it in the food processor and whiz it around i do chop it up a bit so the bits are a bit smaller and then i just whiz it in the food processor and then i just put it in a ziploc bag and push it down so it's all like really thin and then I freeze it and then I just snap pieces off whenever I want. So and it's so it's so easy and it works great. The only thing is you have to make sure it's thin enough that you can snap it when it's frozen. I've done it mm-hmm. before where it's like really thick. And it's then a big I'm block. It surface. Right. And you don't even peel it. So that doesn't no, don't. you don't notice that in the recipe, oh. I guess, if you're oh. it just kind of blends oh, right in. It. And then a friend yeah, a friend said to me, oh, my mom doesn't even peel it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to try that. That's way easier. Right. So I tried it. I can't tell the difference. You can't tell the so difference. So that's super. Yeah. But then into just bigger picture, um, I found a recipe book a little while ago. And the whole thing in the recipe book was basically about using the oven to your advantage. And so the lady who wrote the book, I have got the book here. Let me just find it. I wouldn't what? necessarily say go out and get the book because I don't use it that much. <laughs> but but I like the philosophy behind it. And her idea is basically like the oven does so much of the work for you. So if you can kind of work out how to utilize the oven, you can just close the door and it does all the work. And then it's just, she calls it alchemy. She says, I love the alchemy that takes place behind the door. And so, and she says... So there's a little quote from the book. She says, why is it important when I know that cooking does take effort to offer you dishes that while requiring attention are relatively easy to achieve? Because I believe that the table is important. I wouldn't have managed to feed my children well and share food with friends on a Wednesday as well as on a Saturday night without finding simple ways to do things. And I think it was really helpful for me just thinking, yeah, you need to be you need to be sensible about just your time and what is achievable. I'm kind of on the end, I'm on the end of the spectrum where I want to kind of go to town and make loads of dishes and make it really fun because I think I like to sit down and see loads of different dishes I can try and that's really fun for me. But if we're going to go on. I was going to say that's a very good point because if you are going to do it regularly, you can't every time be coming to the table with a gourmet meal or, you know, one part of the meal takes hours. And of course, there's always the prep and the cleanup and setting the table and doing the side dishes and the bread. And so it's, you. yes, you have to make it. I like that your recipe is called quick, (laughs) quick curry. Yeah, yeah. It's It's, sensible, isn't it? And mm -hmm. so yeah. So so I was really taken with that idea, just thinking, how can you utilize the oven 
to do a lot of the work for you. And then, and then I found actually another Indian lady who's written these books and they've been wildly successful again. She's called Rukmini Aya. And it's, so I found a cookbook called The Quick Roasting Tin. So she, again, is Indian, but grown up in the UK. And she's written, she's written a load of books now. So she's got The Quick Roasting Tin. The, the Roasting Tin was the first one. And then she has The Quick Roasting Tin, Around the World Roasting Tin, The Green Roasting Tin, the something else roasting. I don't know. She's got loads of different roasting tin recipe books. And her whole philosophy is do it all in the oven. And so... I basically, I, so I kind of got into this a little bit, a little bit, and got her recipe book, tried some things, and could see the sense in this. And so I've I kind of adapted this curry recipe so that I could do it in the oven. And that was partly just out of curiosity, mm-hmm. and partly because I have used it for events at church with my mum, and it's just really handy if we can do it in the oven. It works way better. Um, Yes, you can just set a timer and walk away and do your other tasks. I even have a recipe online from someone who cooked their rice in the oven, you know, large batch rice creation in the oven, which is such a fabulous idea. Of course, a rice cooker allows you also to press a button and walk away. What what do you which rice do you recommend or do you have a recommendation on rice? Do you have one? We always use Japanese rice. Jasmine, but we use no Japanese rice. So Japanese we, they call rice. It, they call they call it sushi rice in the supermarkets, but it's not really a sushi rice. Sushi rice is just normal rice, so it's just Japanese rice. But we, as a family, like Japanese rice. But I do other for other people. I would do jasmine rice. I like jasmine rice, although it is Thai, not Indian. Um, the, but, the real common ones here are jasmine and basmati. You can find other right. things too, just regular long yeah. grain rice. Yeah. But I don't think we have something labeled Japanese rice. What right. else would it might potentially be called? Sushi rice. So sushi like rice. sushi. I'm like, how would you say it? Sushi. Oh, I, we say sushi. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. at least where I'm from, we say sushi. Yeah, yeah. Sure somebody else, you know, up here would be like, that is not how you say it. Because you can find sushi rice, but I, I know it's more of a specialty item. So I'll have to look. And then if I can't find it for a reasonable price, go with the jasmine. Yeah. Well, for an Indian curry, I mean, Japanese rice is not the right rice. It's It would be basmati. But... I don't care. <laughs> so so we just we just like Japanese rice at home. The kids like it. So we have Japanese rice, but it's kind of sticky. So it's quite it's a bit different. But if I was cooking for a crowd, I would do I would do jasmine. I prefer jasmine to basmati. I find basmati is a bit drier, but it doesn't matter. I mm-hmm. whatever. It, it really doesn't matter. But yeah, so I figured out how to do this in the oven. I think it might be slightly better done on the hob i mean i'm no expert but i did figure out a way to do it and i kind of tried to copy rukmini aya's ideas so she basically has she has a roasting tin where she will roast things so it's kind of like the browning process that you would do on the hob and then she'll add the liquid and you leave it a while and then she'll mix in things at the end and most of her recipes seem to be that kind of pattern but Mm -hmm. she has some really tasty things but, and you're um, saying on the hub? Is that the top of the stove? On the hub. 
Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love these new terms. <laughs> yeah. I think there's probably a lot of things um, that we would say slightly differently. That's but yeah. Fun. Yeah. Whole. We would say stovetop or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> something boring. Yeah. <laughs> Not as cool as the hub. <laughs> so, do you serve a dessert with this recipe? I do. I do. So, I love a pavlova. Do you do pavlova? Is that like a thing in the States? I recently had one at a friend's uh, Christmas party. It was amazing. And it inspired me to create my own pavlova. I have had it before, but it is very few and far between. But it is a dessert that we make over here. Hers was just, I mean, I don't know how you could improve on it. It was so amazing and so delicious and perfect for maybe the end of a heavy meal. Because hers had berries and it was light and but rich and creamy. Yeah. And, oh, it was all the best things. So tell me yeah. about yours. I love, I basically just love anything with meringue. I just, I love meringue. I just mm-hmm. think it's so nice. And it's, and it's also kind of like magic to make. Like I just love making a meringue. So I love this because it's so easy. You just make it the night before or in the, the afternoon before. And you just put it in the oven. So you whip up the egg whites and then, and you add the sugar and then you, I'll give you the recipe, obviously, but you just keep going. After you've added all the sugar, you just keep whipping it until it goes to like a stiff peak. And then, and then you put it on your parchment paper. I would say grease proof paper or whatever. And then you put it in the oven. So you put it into a receding oven. So you put the oven up 180 degrees celsius i don't know what that is in fahrenheit i can look um, at the conversion yeah <laughs> i used to know it really you know when you're in elementary school you have it memorized how to do yeah, the quick conversion now i'm like oh what is that formula yeah i've written it out in the front of one of my recipe books so i just picked that one up if ever i need to check but yeah you put it in so you heat the oven up at 180 but then when you put it in you put the oven to 120 so the oven is kind of cooling while it's in and then you cook it for an hour and a half but you don't open the door at all like if you open the door it's ruined Mm -hmm. so you don't open the door and then you have to leave it until it's completely cooled so the easiest thing is just to do it the evening before put it on a timer and then once it's done the hour and a half the oven will switch off or if you don't have a timer you just make sure you're awake to turn the oven off and then just leave it. I've even put post-it notes on the door, like don't open the oven door (laughs) and just leave it overnight for it to cool. So our ovens, they they don't get hot. The door doesn't get hot. So I can't even tell if it's cooled. So I have to kind of leave it overnight. And then, and then in the morning it's just ready and it just sits there waiting for me all day and it's fine. And then, and then I can whip the cream ahead of time, keep it in the fridge and then chop up whatever fruit I want to do. And keep that in the fridge and then just just beforehand just quickly put the cream on top put the fruit on top of that and then it's good to go so it's really it, it, you can make it all ahead of time so it's really handy mm-hmm. like that I really like and I've made one before where it was Christmas time and instead of making a circle I did a ring so it would be like a wreath so I did a ring and then I made like a kind of berry sauce I just had a load of berries and then sugar and just kind of stewed them for a bit. And then I just kind of guessed it though. So it's not very helpful. But anyway, you can just kind of guess it, know that it will thicken up when it cools down. And then so I kind of made this berry sauce that was all kind of like a reddy purpley color. And then on the ring, I put the cream around the ring. 
put the fruit on the cream and then had some sprigs of mint to go around. So you had the kind of red and the green. So it looked kind of Christmassy and mm-hmm. fun. The only oh, thing is you beautiful. can't. Yeah, it was fun. I was really pleased with it, but it was, it's just so easy to make, but really effective. It looks really fun. It tastes really good. The only thing is, is that anything with a sauce, if you put it on ahead of time, it will kind of go into the cream and it won't look so pretty, you know. So you have to do, you have to kind of put the sauce on just before. If it's, if you can put whatever fruit you like on the top. So if you just had a load of strawberries, say, that you just chopped up, you could just, you could put that on a bit ahead of time and that would be fine. But just any kind of sauce, it will go into the cream. It won't look so good. Mm. You'd need to do that just before. But yeah, I love a pavlova. So tasty. And I don't have one of those recipes on my site right now. So that is a perfect addition. I'll put that up as well as the curry recipe with all of your changes so that we can also use the oven method. Yeah, I'll put the both methods for the curry as well so that you can do it on the stovetop or or in the oven, whatever. Okay, perfect. Let's take a quick break. Are you searching for hands-on activities to help your kids explore the practical side of science? Look no further than your kitchen. Inquisicook blends food science and culinary arts into an engaging program that puts delicious food on the family table. Let Inquisicook do the teaching with lesson videos, reliable recipes, and assessment tools that put students on track for success. Their online platform is easy to navigate and optimized for mobile, so the learning experience can move from the classroom to the kitchen without a hitch. Inquisicook turns curious students into intuitive cooks, not just recipe followers. Say goodbye to the tyranny of the ingredients list and say hello to utilizing what's in season, what's on sale, or what's in the fridge. Visit inquisicook.com to view sample lessons then check out the recipe gallery to see just how crave-worthy science can be. What is your best prep tip when you're preparing for company or you're preparing your meal for the church? How do you approach that? Do you have, I know you've yeah. already mentioned some of your cooking inspiration, some of the cookbooks you found very helpful. Do you have any yeah. particular other tips like shopping or cleaning, anything like that that you want to share with yeah. us? Yeah. I have a few. So, well, so one I've already said about utilizing the oven, but I also really think utilizing the freezer is so sensible. I mean, everyone says make things ahead of time. Definitely make things ahead of time. I read something on a blog recently that I thought was really helpful that she was basically saying, if you're cooking for a lot of people, you can either, if you have a lot of storage, like in your freezer or in your fridge, you can do it with less people if you have more storage. So you can do it over a longer period of time and then you can store things but if you don't have the storage you need more people just beforehand all hands on deck kind of getting it done and I thought that yeah that's really true that if you have the space you can actually do quite a lot on your own Mm -hmm. but you just have to do it ahead of time and so like freezer definitely and so I said like I would do a pavlova for this dessert but I also often would do an ice cream or a sorbet or something that is just in the freezer, good to go. Sorbet is brilliant for any dietary requirements. So mm-hmm. I have a sorbet recipe that is just fruit and a simple sugar, and that's all. So most people would be okay with that, even if they were gluten-free or 
dairy dairy free yes uh, yeah yeah so that's so that's handy so I think using the freezer well just really helps you can just you can prepare a lot ahead of time and put it in the freezer I always write notes on my recipes so if I try a recipe I will write notes on it later to say how many it's served or whether or whether it was no good if I've written if I've tried one from a book and it wasn't good and I didn't like it I'll write on it don't bother right don't bother doing this again in case I find it in five years time and think oh it's a good idea you've completely forgotten I've done that where I have not written on it and then I make it and I have this little twinge in my brain of this is very familiar I think I've made this before and the same thing happened so I try to remember to do the same thing to at the end of the meal go back and make some sort of notation on there whether we liked it or whether it's a hit with our family that sort of thing yeah and sometimes the recipe will say it's serve six and you think actually no this would serve four or this Mm -hmm. would serve eight or and it's just really helpful to write things to yourself so when you come back you can see it. Also, there's something I picked up in Japan where in Japanese recipes, when they have the ingredients, they will have any ingredients that go in together. They'll have a little bracket and they'll put a letter near it, like A or something. And then and then the next set of ingredients, they'll have B next to it. And then in the recipe itself, it will say, fry A for this long and then add B. And it's just, it's so much quicker. It's I think your brain can scan it quicker. You read it quicker. You just you know that when you're getting ready to prepare a meal, you can put everything that's A in the same bowl together or everything that's B all together. I love it. It's just it's so it's really handy. It's just mm-hmm. a really quick way to do it. And then in terms of cleaning, I am do you know the 80-20 rule? Have you heard of the 80-20 rule? It sounds very so you familiar. Do, you do 80%, people say you do 80% of the work and 20% of the time. So I, so it's the kind of thing where say like we have a Labrador at the moment and he sheds so much hair and it's just, for example, like if I'm hoovering, I can hoover up 80% in 20% of the time, you know, but if I was going to then go on and get everything perfect, Mm. that would take. Right. Where you're doing under furniture or baseboards or yes. But just quickly go couches. I can do 80% of it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very much an 80-20 kind of girl. Right. If company's so, coming over, you're going to get the 80% yeah. done. You're not going to worry about the 100, yeah, all yeah. the cracks and yeah. crevices yeah. that they're not going to be looking at anyway. Yeah. yeah. Save that and for your spring just, cleaning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so or, or, you know, or so, when you have a little more time. Yeah. Well, for me, in my life, it's been for when I move house, because we've moved house so many times. This is the longest we've ever lived in a house together. Actually, this is the longest my husband's ever lived anywhere. So we've been here four years now. This is the longest we've ever been. On that note, is it a long stay this time? Are you pretty much staying where you are? Is there a chance that you'll go back to Japan? No, we're staying. So we're long term here now. So yeah. So. I'm finding I'm that's nice to know yeah it is nice to know it is especially me I'm quite a home bird I was quite homesick in Japan so yeah so it is nice and yeah so but I am finding with the cleaning I'm like oh wow we're not we've not moved house and I really do need to be 
kind of on it with the cleaning because when you move a house regularly it's kind of like it doesn't have time to get that bad right the time you move you're... everything out and then you can vacuum a hundred percent in yeah. 20 of the time because there's nothing yeah. to move <laughs> yeah <laughs> you don't have to worry about underneath couches or behind them they're gone yeah, yeah. Yes, that exactly. does we moved oh it's only it's not even three years yet it's a little over two now but maybe two and a half and you know, there's all these tips on that you see, especially around the new year, you know, you see all these tips about people talking about how to create this organization and cleaning schedule. And one day empty the, this closet and another day, go through your pantry and another day, you know, all these different things yeah. to kind of streamline your house and make it more organized. And I had this thought of, you know, or you could just move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're forced to do it all at once and you get yeah, a U-Haul yeah. that is a little bit smaller than you really need. And you're forced to only take the things that fit on that U-Haul. Yeah. My husband was determined yeah. we are not getting the biggest U-Haul there is, which I don't know <laughs> if they have U-Haul where you are, but here, you know, there's all these different size trucks and there is this massive one, which if, you, if we had all of our kids still at home, sure, we would need that. But it was the two of us and Max. And we were just determined we we have to downsize. And so anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I could write I a book. Kind of, that's how I get rid of stuff, how I kind of purge things. I'm like, okay, we move house, we move house. I get mm -hmm. rid of so much stuff when we move house. It's kind of so a forced every, thing. It's forced upon you. Yeah. It's not fun, but it's, mm -hmm. it no. does do the job. And every now and again, I feel now like, oh, I need to, I need to like get rid of stuff. I think it's like, a clock inside me of like you need to move house you need to yeah <laughs> get rid of some stuff sort things out yeah but with the 80 20 rule I will my husband and I will say to each other 80 20 80 20 mm -hmm. well we and we know what we mean we're like right. just do the 80 20 percent right. of the time just don't do get the, all perfection just quickly get, get the all. main bulk of the cleaning done and don't worry about all the little small details right yeah. now yeah yeah yeah. So I think, I think that's helpful just to think you can actually do a lot quickly if you're not being too fussy. Mm -hmm. If you want to be perfect about it all, it's going to take a while, but if you just want to, you know, make it look presentable, it's not so bad. Mm -hmm. yeah. For sure. What is your best advice for showing warm hospitality to those coming into your home? How do you make them feel welcome? Well, one of the things we do is put our dogs in another room because we have crazy dogs. And so, yeah, they can be a bit much. But I find one thing that's really helpful with guests is just laying out expectations ahead of time. So one thing I found recently is that if we invite people over after church, so our church is, our church is at half past 10 and then it's, it goes on an hour or a bit more. And then we have tea or coffee and something to eat together as a kind of time of fellowship together afterwards. So by the time we're getting home, it's kind of usually about one o'clock. So if we have people coming over, I don't have the time beforehand to get things ready. I can do things before church. I can do things the day before. But there is th there, are, there are things you need to do just beforehand. So I've said to people, oh, come over, you know, come over after church. But just so you know, we will get home and we'll kind of we'll maybe play some games with the kids or something and I'll get food ready and we'll just eat when it's ready. We won't stress about the time. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of let them know so that then so that they know 
you know, maybe have a big breakfast. <laughs> and that they they know what our expectations are mm-hmm. and so that they can kind of come prepared and they, yes, they know. They can they bring start. a snack for in between, maybe yeah, for if they have small children. Be, yeah, exactly. And we do we do have snacks at church afterwards as well. So I feel like, well, you got a snack there. I can get some breadsticks out for the kids or something if you want. But I do think just laying out some expectations, if there's anything that you think, I'll be kind of nice for them to know this ahead Mm -hmm. of time. Well, and it takes some pressure off of you, too. If you're having to stir a pot at the last minute, you're not, you know, just pouring sweat, thinking you're standing over me, thinking we were going to eat 30 minutes ago. You've told them, well, I've got to prepare a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And if I know that they know, that we're not going to rush and we're not going to maybe eat as early as they normally would, then it does take the pressure off me. I can feel like, well, I said we'd eat when we eat, so it's okay. I still am trying to get food ready at a sensible time, but it just it does just kind of take the pressure off. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think another, another thing I thought of was just kind of not, I think kind of like not being too formal. So, well, I was thinking about it today. I was remembering there's a time in my life when I was living in London we had a friend who would invite people over and they were they were a couple she was an amazing cook and we would go over and she'd always have loads of people over. they would always have loads of people she would always cook something amazing and they were just great at sharing hospitality the food would always be brilliant lots of new people to meet it was always fun but there was one time where she invited me over just me and I went over and so it's just me and her one evening I, I guess her husband was out and she literally just kind of took me over to the freezer and rummaged around in the freezer, like, what should we eat? Mm-hmm. And I just felt so honored by that. Like, wow, she's like treating me like family, you know, that. It, and But I think it's just an interesting kind of concept that it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely a place for really going to town and making really nice food for people and really treating people. But then there's also a place for kind of just welcoming people into normal everyday life. Mm-hmm. and treating them like family so it reminds me as well of so the sort of the interplay between language and food and culture is kind of interesting to me as well I guess with the whole Japan thing and whatever but in Japanese there's different language for different situations so there's informal language and then there's formal language which is really polite and then there's a kind of middle of the road safe option. So there's three kind of levels of politeness or formality in speech. And so you'd think that, you know, the general rule is the more polite thing is showing respect and being nice to someone. But someone was telling me once about how her neighbors were really noisy and she'd gone over, like a Japanese friend, she'd gone over to tell them, please be quiet. And I was asking her, what language did she use? And she was, she said, I use really polite language. But it wasn't to show respect, but it was to create distance. And that it showed that she was angry. She was, was being very her, formal. Yes, that makes yeah, sense. Because if you're yeah. very, very formal, you're distant. Or yeah. that's typically and, the, the vibe you're creating. Yeah. You're not letting yeah, somebody yeah. in close to you. Yeah. And you have like a strongly worded letter, don't you? It's a thing. And they would be written nicely like in kind of nice language but it's it's not like a nice feeling it's it's a very it's kind of distant and I'm not happy about this kind of thing but then 
when I talked to my mum about it, she was saying that my grandfather, so we speak Welsh as well. So my grandfather, he once told my mum about an older lady that he knew. So in so in Welsh, you also you don't have the three levels in like Japanese, but with some words you have an informal and a formal. So say like if you're saying you to someone else, there's a like a sort of informal way of saying it and a more polite way of saying it. But he knew an older lady he'd known all his life. So she was like old. Usually you'd use the more formal words for the older people. But he said to my mum, if I used the more formal language with her, it would be so rude because Mm -hmm. it would be creating distance with this woman I'm so familiar with. I've known her since I was little. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's just really interesting Mm -hmm. how you can have that that kind of being informal with someone and being kind of less polite in some ways is more warm and more inviting. So I think, and I think that can relate to food as well, that just giving someone just a normal meal at times can be more of a compliment mm-hmm. and more of an honor to that person than if you really go to town. But I find it hard to kind of get that balance right because I think there's definitely times where that could be rude as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I know someone. what you're saying. Yeah. I remember a story by Ina Garten. I don't remember the exact person it was, but it seems like it was somebody your husband worked with. I don't know if it was a fellow professor or a you know a boss at the time or something like that, but somebody that you normally would think of if you invite this person to your home, you need to have a really a high to do, a formal to do where they're coming into expecting a very posh meal. And she told the story of creating a meal that was just very home cooked comfort food and his response was just kind of incredible because he loved it i mean he was just so kind of taken aback by it at first you know because most people would have served him something very gourmet and fancy and here she was and i wish i could remember the menu i don't i don't remember exactly what it was but you know one of her just real classic easy to make home comfort foods and yeah he talked about how it reminded him of home and growing up and I mean it was just delicious and it it brought it it did what you're saying it brought the tone down to much more friendly and less distance between the people at the table yeah yeah Yeah, because when my dad was a pastor when I was little my mom tells a story where there was a single lady in the church and she came over one time and they were just about to eat. And my mom said, oh, do you want to stay and eat with us? And she was delighted to stay. Um, but my mom was just cooking. Do you do beans on toast in the States? Do you do that? Is no. that a thing, baked beans on toast? Well, I, I feel like so. it's so British. It's <laughs> like a tin of baked beans. So you're going gonna to get, gotta get how easy it is. It's just a tin of baked beans that you uh-huh. literally just open and heat up on, on the stovetop, on the hob. Right. Um. And you just have it with toast. And it's just so easy, just really. We have both of those things. I just don't think I've ever put one on top of the other. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe the baked beans would taste slightly different. I don't know if it would taste different or not. But I don't know. I'll have to try it sometime. Yeah. Well, it's a very, it's a very typical kind of British thing to do just as a very easy meal. Mm -hmm. So my mom was just making that. And so she literally just opened another tin of beans. But apparently this woman was just so delighted just to be part of a real 
family meal that and as a single lady at the time she just didn't have that and so she was just so pleased I mean funnily enough that lady she later got married but in later life and then she became one of our prayer supporters now well while we're in Japan and now as well so we kind of we've reconnected with her so that's kind of fun but a complete aside but just that idea that it's like now I'm kind of in you know this is this is normal life Mm -hmm. and I think for us in our context in the UK to just do a simple curry and rice is quite it's just very normal food Mm -hmm. but you can dress it up as well if you want to so I think I think just kind of thinking about the people that you have coming over and not so much about what would I like to cook, but just kind of what would make them feel loved. Mm-hmm. And some people would really like you to go to town. That would be fun for them. And other people would maybe really just feel really honored if you just do a really normal, normal kind of boring meal. But it just shows that you're just treating them like family. That is great advice and a great thing to think through. Who is coming? Yeah. Yeah. What is your must-have kitchen item and where can we find it? Well, I don't know if you can get one of these or not. So I so I have recently, I've actually got a couple of ideas for this as well, but I've recently bought a new food processor and it has an integrated weighing scale. It is so handy. It does. I have not heard of that, but I wonder, I mean, surely we could find that here. You'd think. I mean, I looked quickly at Amazon.com. I couldn't find one. But yeah, I mean, I I didn't know it existed until recently. So my old one broke. And when I was looking for a new one, I saw this one and I was like, oh, that's so good. What brand is it? It's called Kenwood Chef. So it's a British brand. So yeah, it's like the um, equivalent of a KitchenAid, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, but it makes yeah. sense so that, that that would be in Britain because yeah, yeah, you weigh or you, you I'm sure that yeah, you weigh yeah. your ingredients much more than we do. Professional oh, chefs true. here, I'm sure, do that all the time. But the home cook often is just using measuring cups or measuring spoons yeah. and doesn't weigh yeah. as much as yeah. y'all do. Yeah, I do both because I've got some recipes, you know, from different places. So I do do both, but it is handy to weigh it. It is accurate and it's just really handy to have that kind of integrated. But I don't know. I don't know if you can get that or not. But I also recently I saw something on Netflix of all places and I looked into it and it is an extendable table. So do you do inches or centimeters? What do you prefer? Well, tip we have both, but typically when I think of say a table, I'm thinking inches, you know, just because it's okay. a bigger measurement. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I do centimeters for everything, but this table, when it's small and against the wall, it's just I've got it in inches. It's 18 inches deep. So the the table width is like normal, but it's like it only protrudes from the wall 18 inches. But then you can extend it and it has five leaves to go in. So you can just put one leaf or two or three or four or five. And then when it's at its longest, it is, let's see. Oh, I don't even know. What is this? 305 centimeters. What is that? Oh, don't ask me. <laughs> oh, I don't know either. <laughs> have to do the it conversion. 120 inches. Uh, it's, it's big. It seats 12 people. So it's this little kind of side table that you can just use as a little desk that is kind of just in the corner and then you can pull it out 
and you can extend it all the way to so that it can seat 12 people. So it's just so, so if it's 120 big. inches, that would be 10 feet. I mean, I think yeah, if we do a lot of feet, yeah. does that sound right? Like it would be taller yeah. than a yeah. human, or taller than a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 100, <laughs> 100, <laughs> 180 centimeters is six foot. So yeah, that sounds okay. about right. It's really, it's so good. I just love this table so much. So we found it. We found it really cheap. And I don't know, I don't know if you could get it in the States, but we found a really good deal on it. And so my husband was like, get it, just get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, okay. Okay. Um, so our table, our table seats 10. So then with this as well, then takes us up to 22 and that covers most of our needs. So that's it's a really, fabulous so idea. Yeah, yeah I love it. Store just, it and it's small, but when you have a crowd, yeah. you can really add the seating quickly. Does it come with seating or do you have benches that you pull out or how do you have the chairs to sit in? We we do just happen to have that many chairs in our house for various reasons. I don't even know why, but we've just got chairs dotted around in kids' bedrooms and for school, for our, in our school room and stuff like that. So, yeah, so you just pull yeah. them out and put them around the table. Yeah, yeah. And we have, it even has like a slot in it so you can put the leaves into the leg so that when it's against the ta- the wall, the leaves are all just kind of stored away. So it's really fun and it's just really practical and handy. It's not the prettiest table in the world ever. It's very functional, mm-hmm. but it's not ugly either. So it's, right, it's not and offensive. if you put a pretty tablecloth on top, then who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows yeah. what's Although underneath. You need all the different sizes because if you do different uh, different number of leaves, you kind of need that's true. Sizes. That would make it tricky. Yeah. So, and then the the other thing was just I mean, recipe card box. So I love love my recipe card box. So I always I was always kind of looking for the system for mm-hmm. my recipe. So I've used a notebook, and I've used spreadsheets on the computer. And I've used a binder. I've used lots of different methods, but I could never find like the perfect one. And there was always something really annoying about it. So recently I kind of thought, right, well, why don't I just try <clears throat> the recipe card thing might work. So I thought it through and I was thinking, I think this, I think this will work for what I want. And so obviously I want all my recipes there, but I also wanted to be able to take recipes away if I decided I didn't I didn't like them anymore and mm-hmm. to add things easily, to rejig things if I wanted, to have things in different categories. But the one thing that I couldn't find a really good solution for was I hate it when I have recipes I've tried in a recipe book that I like and then I forget about them mm-hmm. and I don't know that they're there or I'll kind of flick through later and be like, oh yeah, this was really nice. And I wanted a way to be able to kind of keep track of that as well as my other recipes. So, and then, I mean, I wanted something that looked nice as well and was a pleasure, pleasure to use. So what I did was I put all my recipes on recipe cards, put it into different categories, kind of by protein and then, you know, whatever, all the other different categories. And then I went through all my recipe books and I found all my notes. And then if I found recipes that I liked, I would just put on a card, just the name of the recipe, the name of the book and the page number. So I wouldn't write it out, Mm -hmm. but it would just kind of remind me of Mm -hmm. that recipe. 
That's a great idea because I've made plenty of things from cookbooks on my shelf and I don't remember, I don't remember to go back to them or where they were, which book it was in or whatever. So that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've added categories since then. So we've done a few buffets for things at church. So I started a category for buffets and I kind of, I wrote cards to myself. I've got a few sort of information cards to myself as well. Like how many loaves of bread will fit on this tray? And if I cut them in, tri- if I cut sandwiches in triangles, how many can I fit? And if I cut them in fingers, how many can I fit? And, you know, all the things that you kind of work out while you're doing something and you think, I should remember this. Like this, mm-hmm. is, this is really handy information to remember. So I've kind of kept all of that info for myself. And I have a little section, have a section for Christmas, section for Easter. And then when I go through, when I do a food shop, I just pull out the cards that I want to, the recipes I want to cook and put them at the front and then kind of work through them throughout through the week. And then if I have a load of people coming over and we do a bigger meal and I have a few different recipes that I'm doing, sometimes I'll just pull them out and photocopy all the recipes and just have a piece of paper with all my recipes on that I just work off of and then and then I just spin it at the end. Mm-hmm. So I love it. It looks nice. It's kind of compact. It's yeah, it works. It works really well for me. I really like it. The one downside is it took a while to put mm-hmm. it all put all the recipes on the cards. When you that initially did that, did you handwrite everything or do you print your favorite recipes and like cut and paste? Or how did you initially set it up? It did write. So it did take a while. So I just did a few every day. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't know, I've heard a few people on your podcast say about recipe cards, but I don't know any friends in the UK who use recipe cards. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's more kind of normal in the States or what, but it's I don't feel like it's so normal here. Mm-hmm. Um, it but, used to be normal yeah. here a long time ago. We would handwrite each other recipes all the time. You know, if you had a recipe to share with a friend, you had a recipe card and you wrote it out and you passed it. And I still have recipe cards from friends from years ago, but not recently. Now, if you share a recipe, you're sharing it through a text. It's a link to a website, or if it's a family favorite, maybe, and they have a recipe card, they'll send you a picture or they'll send you a Pinterest link. So it is very much more technologically based. And so to be able to remember where they are, to keep up with them, like you're saying, it may be a really great idea to make a note to yourself, like, hey, this is on your phone in this folder or to print it out. Or, I mean, you have to have some way of keeping up with all the different places you're getting recipes from. I think if you have cookbooks and online links and blogs and Pinterest and friends, and it does get to where you're like, I can't keep up with this. Yeah, yeah. And that was my frustration that I wanted somewhere where it could all be all together. And I did put things on a spreadsheet on a computer at one point, but then I found I just wouldn't look. I just wouldn't check on the computer. And if I may, I do online shopping. So my food shop always comes. So they deliver it. And then the night before I'm sorting out the food shop. Well, and I just, I just can't be bothered to go look it up on the computer. Whereas for some reason, just having this box in my kitchen where I can just flick through quickly and just see what recipes I want to try. It's just way more accessible. Mm-hmm. And then I just remember where they are. And then if I find a recipe online that I like, I'll print it out and then I try it. And if I like it, I'll write a card. And if I don't like it, I just bin it. But I mean, if I write the card, I bin the piece of paper anyway. But I just mm-hmm. put it all on cards. 
So it is the, it's time, it was time consuming to set it up. But once it was done, I was like, this is it. I love this. Mm -hmm. All in well, one another day, thing a box allows you to do is to have it right there accessible for your family. So with growing yeah. children who might be in the kitchen helping you cook, they have access to the recipes where they wouldn't have access on your computer in a file they don't even know about. And one day yeah. they can make copies of their favorites and that sort of thing. So it does make it accessible more to your family. And then yeah. maybe even friends that yeah. come over, they can copy down their favorite yeah. recipe that you created or whatever. So I like that idea. Yeah. I like that that card system. Yeah, I like it. This is it now forever. I'm, I'm a card recipe card girl. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a story from all of your years of hospitality, whether it's in Japan or Wales or London? Tell me a story. Do you have one? I do. I do. So when I was about 16 or 17, I went on a beach mission. I don't know if you do beach missions. Like in the UK, it's so small, but mm -hmm. everyone's kind of close to a beach. So we have kind of beach missions where there'll be evangelistic events and they'll do kind of songs and stories for kids while they're on the beach on holiday with their family or whatever, doing a day trip. And so I helped out with some of these beach missions when I was younger. And I went on one of the beach missions and I went for two weeks, but it would be a different team every week. So in the first week, we just did the beach mission as normal. But one of the prayer requests that kept coming up was we don't have a cook for the second week. And so basically, if we don't have a cook, we're going to cancel the whole thing because we need somebody to cook so that we can all eat because we're all, you know, we're all away from home, staying somewhere else. So we were all kind of just praying for a cook and just knowing that, you know, I might get sent home. <laughs> I might, this might not happen next week. And then one day the leader came in and this is all in the days before mobile phones. So the leader came in. And he said, oh, I've just had, I've just been on the phone to the head office. And they said that somebody phoned in and she said that it's okay for next week that we have a cook, that her daughter will do it. And her daughter is Anna. Her mother's phoned in and said, Anna will be the cook for next week. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your mom had just decided. Uh, Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and she had no way to contact me so she just phoned the head office and was like my daughter will do it it'll be fine don't worry it'll and be... how old my did mom you was... say you were 16 like 16 or 17 something like that so yeah it was had a funny. lot of confidence in you <laughs> was like, what? so yeah I went and found a pay phone and phoned her she was like oh don't worry don't worry I'll help you it's fine I think she just thought we're not going to cancel the whole thing because there's not a cook. I mean, that's mm -hmm. crazy. No, no. So she was, I don't know, maybe an hour, hour and a half away. I remember, her, I can't remember all the details, but I remember her coming down one time with a big cake for everyone. And I think she probably, she probably did plan it all and give me the recipes and tell me what to do and whatever. She'd get me cooking at home. I knew how to cook. It was fine. Mm -hmm. but But it's a bit different a week and it's all on you and you're cooking for a team and all has to be ready at a certain time. It was a bit of a jump. Well, but and I finding all the groceries, shopping for all the groceries yeah. and organizing yeah. everything, the cleanup. I mean, there's a lot to it besides just trying to get the meal on the table at a certain time. That's a big, yeah. big responsibility. Yeah. 
it was a bit thrown in the deep end kind of thing. But I look back on it fondly. And I don't think at the time even I was that I was that worried. I thought it was funny even at the time. But well, she um, prepared you she well. She yeah, she did. She prepared me and she helped me through the week. And I just I look back on it as a very formative time where I think it was a real kindness of God to put me in that situation. But when everybody around me felt the need for a cook so much and it was so sort of so close to just cancelling the whole thing. So it was kind of like I could be quite bad and everyone would still be grateful. It was like that expectations were not that happy. So there was no big pressure. It was just like, just feed the people and then the whole thing can happen and it's fine. And so, but it did, yeah, it taught me a lot, I think. And I remember friends at the time, same age as me, saying like, I could never do this. Like, I don't know how to cook. How can you do this? I could never do this. And just that struck me at the time of just being grateful to my mom that she had taught me how to cook so that it wasn't that big a deal it was doable I could do mm-hmm. it um yeah and it was just it was a good experience it was a good experience and it was very formative so now I think that's probably helped me just be a bit more like well just just get on with it just do it oh for It'll sure that out. would be very confidence inspiring if you can pull that off at 16 then all of these extra events that come at you later it's like oh I can do that I've got that <laughs> 27 <laughs> people at church no big deal <laughs> yeah but it was funny it was funny we had I have one other story that was less funny but another just just God's providence and God's provision in it just we had we just had Afia so Afia was born in September so it was the Christmas after we had Afia so she's six now so she was just a few months old and it was Christmas day we were in Japan and we had a load of people coming over for lunch so we had a load of missionary friends coming over and so it, there was a lot of preparation to do also all the kind of christmas presents and excitement with the kids there was i don't think there was church in japan it's not a holiday the 25th of december isn't a holiday so it's kind of like a normal day so we had all the things with the kids all the busyness of preparing food and everything and then and a baby who needed feeding and naps and all the normal things and so that year ethan had Ethan was eight and he'd got a pen knife. So he's our oldest. He'd got a pen knife for Christmas and he was super excited about it. So my husband was showing him how to use it with his younger brother, Micaiah, who would have been, what would he have been? Five, I think, in another room while I was getting the food ready. And then Afia woke from her nap. I was in the middle of something. So I called to Nathaniel, like, can you go, can you go and get Afia? So he went and got Afia quickly. And as he was upstairs with Afia, just about to bring her down, we just heard this cry. This, you know, sometimes with kids, you hear a cry and you think, mm-hmm. oh, no. You can tell the tone is different. You're just like, oh, no. So we both kind of just ran to the boys. And Ethan had cut himself with this penknife. But yeah. he had, we bought him, we bought him a safety gun. I mean, it's not that funny, is it? But... It's a story. We had a safety <laughs> glove for him. And he was following the book. He had, we had a book for him. He was following the book. But poor kid, he's left-handed. And so the guy in the book had the glove on his left hand. Oh. So Ethan had put the glove on his left hand. And he was holding he was the knife with his left, left hand. hand. 
Oh no. <laughs> so he cut him up. And I mean, it was, it was quite bad. And then mm-hmm. so Afi had woken because she needed feeding. So then I was kind of like, need to feed the baby. Thankfully, my husband was there and he's fine. In that kind of situation, he kicks into gear and he's great. I was kind of going a bit lightheaded, just like, no. Because there's blood everywhere. And just <laughs> and, like, oh and a baby God. crying and upset. Yeah. And, oh, that's so, so tough. I'm and then Kempany's walking in the door in how many minutes? They're coming soon. Yeah, they're coming soon. And so I ended up sitting on the bathroom floor. My husband sorted out Ethan. I'm nursing Afia and then I'm kind of going lightheaded. So I'm trying to put my head between my knees while I'm nursing a baby. (laughs) That doesn't work. (laughs) Tell me you didn't pass out. (laughs) No, I didn't pass out. I didn't pass out. But then we were were like, okay, what are we going to do? Like, do we need to take him to hospital? Do we need to, what do we do with our guests? And then we remembered that our guests who are coming, the guy was a doctor. So I found them. Andy? his wife yeah amazing so I phoned his wife and I said like there's been an accident and explained and she said okay we've just left the house we'll go back we'll get Martin's doctor bag and then we'll come with his doctor bag so he he was he's a British guy so he wasn't like practicing medicine in Japan but he was a doctor and he had a load of stuff so he brought his bag and he sorted out Ethan he kind of glued his finger together (laughs) So we could carry on with our meals. <laughs> it was all fine. <laughs> Everything got sorted. I was so grateful to God for his provision. Like, a doctor's coming. A doctor's yes. coming. It was, yeah. And was speaking good. about not yeah. having a hard and fast time to start the meal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You had to exactly. have a, a finger glued first. Sorry, yeah. friends. Glue <laughs> is together. Now we'll eat afterwards. Right. Yeah. So it was, oh. it was. It's that God had provided the doctor already. Oh, yeah, they were a real blessing to us. But yeah, oh, that's that was fun. A, that was fun a case of kind of just juggling too many things, too many balls up in the mm-hmm. end, just kind of, um, yeah. 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 And but throwing a nursing baby into the mix is quite the thing, too. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that can't be delayed. You can't explain to the baby, well, they're going to no. have to wait for your meal. <laughs> wait, there's blood everywhere. Right. <laughs> And also we have like tatami in Japan. We had a, it was in a tatami room. So the floor is tatami. And I remember thinking, don't get blood on the tatami. What so is, I don't know how what to is tatami? So they're like tatami mats. So they're made. Okay. But it's a mat that, yeah, it would, the blood would soak a into mat. the mat. It's like a woven thing. Uh-huh. So it's not like a hard floor, or a flat surface. It's kind of, it would, could all go in. Oh no. And I think if to change so we were like no no get out of the tatami room like not there don't drop the blood there (laughs) (laughs) where was your son when he first cut himself was it in that room or somewhere different where it could be oh no No, oh it was in that room that's what you're saying uh, oh yeah yeah. So, but we got him out of there into the bathroom and it was all fine. It was all fine. But yeah, but these things happen when you're kind of juggling lots of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God Expect the good. unexpected because it will happen 100%. Maybe not every yeah. time, but it does happen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Just expect yeah. it and plan to roll with it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. As you can tell, if I'm in America and she's in Wales, we had to coordinate this to make sure that neither one of us was asleep. (laughs) (laughs) We did, and it's evening where she is and kind of midday where I am. 
So it's very fun that we were able to coordinate. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us, share your recipes, and tell us all of your hospitality tips. Thank you, Bess. Thank you for having me. So nice to meet you. Until next time, bye for now. Bye.